The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Isaiah chapter number 9 for our text reading today. The book of Isaiah chapter number 9 is where we'll be in just a moment. Welcome to the very first service in our Christmas sermon series that we're entitling The Story of Christmas. Over the next four weeks in the month of December, we're going to tell different parts of this Christmas story, and we're breaking the four parts down into what we're calling acts. So there will be act one, there will be act two, act three, and act four. And so today we're starting this sermon series, the story of Christmas, with act one, and act one is simply called the prophecies of the coming Messiah. The prophecies of the coming Messiah. And uh, we're going to be looking at one of the prophecies of the Messiah. One of the prophecies of the Messiah. This is one of many prophecies that we will find throughout the Old Testament. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Before we get started, I want to share a, a story. Now, I am going to say this. Uh, while, while this uh, story is 100% true, this really happened to me, I will admit in advance it is a tad strange, all right? So I'm just telling you in, up front. It's a little bit of a weird story, uh, but it's true, so I'm just going to share it like it happened. Um, I got a friend of mine, one of my good, good friends. Uh, he's a pastor in another state, and just kind of, he's a little quirky, and one of his things that he really enjoys, one of the things that mean a lot to him is uh, he collects, like, weird shoes. He likes just to wear shoes. Any of you have a friend that just has lots of shoes and maybe they're different colors, orange or green or blue and things like that. And, and so that's just kind of his thing. He likes to wear different color shoes and, and that's a little bit of his thing there. And his birthday was coming up this summer and I thought, man, I'm, you know, he's a good friend of mine. I want to get him a gift. And, and so I thought to myself, you know, I'll, I'll just get him, I'll, I'll just get him some shoes. And I, I was at a store and I found these really, they were like, they were kind of like a, a orange type shoe. And I thought, man, those, those would be something. I'd never wear them, but that would be something he would wear. And uh, so I thought, man, I'll pick him up those shoes. And, and then it dawned on me, I actually have no clue what size shoe he wears. You know, I was going to buy him, you know, I was like, I mean, he's a good friend and everything, but I've, I've never asked him what his shoe size was or anything along those lines. So I ended up, I didn't buy them, didn't get the shoes, didn't know what size they were. I, I didn't want to like call him and be like, hey bro, I want to get you a, a birthday present, what's your shoe size? It just, I don't know, for me it felt a little bit awkward, so I, I, I just didn't. I, I told my wife about it, you know, it's just like, I don't, you know, I don't know what to do or whatnot. So honestly, I just kind of forgot about it, you know, it's, I, I didn't even think about it. And this is, this is where the story gets a little bit weird. Um, so one night I was sleeping. I was in bed. I was sleeping. And as I was sleeping, I had a dream. It's a true story. Uh, I was sleeping. And uh, in this particular dream, me and my buddy were out to dinner. And uh, we were just talking back and forth. How many of you ever have weird dreams? Any of you guys have weird dreams? All right. And uh, I'm just throwing it out. This is a weird one, but I'll throw it out there. And you get to get inside my dreams here a little bit. And uh, we were talking. And, and we will often do this if we're ever together preaching and things. We'll get to dinner afterwards and talk about different ministry things and stuff along those lines and so we're sitting there we're talking back and forth and in the in the dream in the middle of the dream my buddy and I are sitting there and in the middle of the dream my buddy props his foot up onto the table that we're eating on just props his foot up real high and as he props his foot up on the table in the dream uh, right there in front of me is his shoe and on the bottom of the shoe is his shoe size it's a true story I'm not making this up I told my kids about this when the next morning they remember this and uh, I said, I told my wife about it, I said, do you think that's actually a shoe size? She says, yeah, it probably is. You know, it was in the dream, probably what happened. So sure enough, I went in the size that I saw in the dream, bought the shoes, and uh, sent them off to him. 
a couple weeks later, I get a text message from my buddy, and in the text message, it's a picture of him wearing those shoes. You know, he's got the shoes on, and he's like, hey, thanks so much for the birthday present. They fit perfect. Appreciate it. I was like, cool, awesome. You know, I guess that kind of worked out. Now, you say, why did you tell us that story? Now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that was some sort of prophetic dream. All right, I don't don't know if it was just my brain tapping into my subconscious, mining for information I didn't know I possessed, you know, while I was asleep, or or probably just that I ate too much pizza the night before, or something along those lines. Uh, But if nothing else, if nothing else, it it was a strange coincidence. How many of you agree, if nothing else, it was just kind of a strange coincidence? However, however, as we look at all the prophetic passages in the scriptures regarding the coming Messiah, now if you read through the Old Testament, you will find that there are nearly 300 prophetic prophecies about an anointed one, a coming Messiah. 300 prophecies regarding all parts of the anointed one's life. And I will say this. All of those prophecies came true in the person of Jesus Christ. As we look at those prophetic passages concerning the Messiah in the Old Testament, there are just way too many fulfilled prophecies for them to simply be coincidence. My dream could have just been a coincidence. But 300 prophecies coming true about the Messiah is no coincidence. There was something more happening underneath the surface. And that is what we're going to talk about today. The book of Isaiah is an interesting book. In fact, it's one of the most interesting books in all of the scriptures. Um, While little is known of the personal life of the prophet Isaiah, he is considered to be one of the greatest of them all. In fact, the book of Isaiah is one of the largest of all the Old Testament prophetic books. Isaiah's name simply means salvation of Yahweh. Yahweh was a name for the God of heavens. And the name Isaiah means salvation of Yahweh or Yahweh saves. So this prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, his name literally means Yahweh or God saves. Isaiah lived between 760 B.C., and 680 BC. So to give you some context, this is about 700 years before Jesus Christ was born, all right? 700 years. To put that in perspective for us, I want you to think back to what would have been going on 700 years ago, all right? Think about this, you know, we're in the year 2018. 700 years ago was a long time. That would have been like before America, that would have been before even Columbus uh, just came and discovered the Americas and whatever the case may be, 700 years is a long time. And yet 700 years before the Messiah comes to this earth, Isaiah is writing prophecies about his life. And we're going to look at one of those prophecies today. Now, 
I think they have a map up on the screen, but Isaiah began prophesying during the Assyrian crisis. You say, what was the Assyrian crisis? The Assyrian empire was northeast of Israel. And so what happened is the Assyrian empire was going through and it was overtaking countries. It was destroying people. And the Assyrians had already come down and destroyed the 10 northern tribes of Israel. I mean, completely wiped them out, took many of them captive. So we had the 10 tribes of Israel to the north, and then there are the two southern tribes of Judah. In this passage, Isaiah the prophet is preaching to those two southern tribes of Judah. And as he preaches, he is giving them a very stern warning. He basically is going to proclaim to them that judgment is coming. The Assyrians have already wiped out the northern tribes, and you can just imagine these two southern tribes of Judah, they're starting to get really nervous. I mean, you can just imagine if a superpower had just wiped out a major portion of a country and the king threatened, the dictator said, you're next. That, that's where these people would have been. They're feeling helpless. They're feeling hopeless. I mean, this is the Assyrian Empire. They're just getting really nervous about this whole situation. And so in chapter number eight of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is going to proclaim the judgment of God, how God's going to use the Assyrians to judge them. Now, understand this is Old Testament covenant, but I'm trying to give you context text on what is happening. Chapter number eight, Isaiah is warning about this coming judgment on the nation. But as we move into chapter number nine, we're going to see that there is still hope for these people. And the hope is not in their military might. The hope is not in their politics. Their hope is not in their strength. But what Isaiah is going to reveal is that there is hope in one who will come to be their savior. And in verses number six and in verses number seven, he's going to give a prophecy about this one who would be the savior of Israel and ultimately the savior of the world. Our theme for the message this morning is very simple. If you, if you like to write notes and kind of collect some of what's being said, here, here's, here's the theme of this message. With God, there are no hopeless situations. How many of you can say amen to that? Amen. With God, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about their situation. All right? That's what we're going to talk about today. If you're physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text here this morning. We're going to read Isaiah chapter number 9. I'm going to begin in verse number 1. We're going to read down through verse number 7. If you're visiting with us today, thank you so much for coming. Uh, you really are our honored guest. We're so glad to have each and every one of you in attendance. Uh, inside uh, the service program that you should have received on your way in, there's a little card that you can fill out. It's called a connection card. We'd love to have a record of your attendance, and uh, we'd like to send you some information about the church and answer any questions you might have. So later on in the service, you'll have the opportunity to turn that in. For the rest of us, let's take out our Bibles and our notes and, and really let's zone in on what the Lord has for us here uh, from this prophecy of Isaiah. Here's what the scriptures say in Isaiah 9, verse number 1. Nevertheless, let me pause right there for just a second. Why does Isaiah say nevertheless? Remember, chapter number eight, he's talking all about judgment. He's talking all about how a series is going to come and wipe them out. And it's really scary. And it's like, what are we going to do? And Isaiah says, but nevertheless, nevertheless, I know judgment's coming, but nevertheless, all right, the dimness shall not be such 
as was in her vexation. Now, Isaiah was a prophet, he was a preacher, and so he uses really eloquent, poetic language as he's preaching, as he's teaching. He was an orator of sorts. So when I read this, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, I don't have a clue of what that means, all right? But you say, what was he talking about? He, he's basically saying, hey, I know it looks scary. I know it's a little gloomy, the dimness, it, it look, it, but it won't be gloomy forever for those who are in distress. This is not gonna last forever. Nevertheless, it's not, this gloominess, this, this, uh, this, this, this dimness isn't gonna last forever. Uh, when, like at the first, he, he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards he did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations, all right? So here he, he transitions, he says, the people that walked in darkness, those of you, and you were scared and you were walking in darkness, he says, those of you who walked in darkness, he says, you're gonna see a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined he said i know it's scary i know it's dark i know it's dim i know it's gloomy but you're going to be able to walk in the light i'm going to do something great i here's a promise for you verse three he says thou hast multiplied the nations and not increased the joy he says, they joy before thee according to the joy and harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. There's going to be victory for every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. How is this all possible? How is this deliverance going to come? Verse 6, for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father the prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even notice this forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I want to speak this morning on the subject, the prophecy of the Messiah. The prophecies of this Messiah. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into our Bible study. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as a people who might be struggling with discouragement, and maybe even depression and despair, with feelings of helplessness and and emotions of hopelessness, I pray that you would give us a grace, that you would heal our hearts, and, and that we would find our hope in you. I pray that just like Isaiah was trying to get the people of Israel to look to God, I pray that we too would get our eyes off of our circumstances and off of the situations around us, and that we would look to you to be our source of hope for anything that we might face in this life. I pray that you would bless this service. Use your word to speak to our hearts. We pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. As we said a moment ago, these southern tribes of Judah, they were scared. They were nervous. They were feeling helpless and hopeless. The Assyrian Empire was threatening to destroy them and take them captive, and they had no clue of what to do next. I mean, they are just scared for their lives. The enemy had just conquered their neighbors, 
to the north, and now they're threatening to invade their country next. But I want to ask you a question here today. Have you ever found yourself in a season where it feels like the enemy is threatening you, and you're beginning to experience some levels of hopelessness, some experiencing some uh, helplessness, experiencing some despair? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you were just like, I do not know what to do next? Anybody ever been there before? You're just like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it's scary. You ever, you've been in a situation, you're just like, you're terrified. And maybe it's something that's happening with your health, or maybe it's something that's taking place in a relationship, or maybe it's something to do with your kids or grandkids, and you just feel like the enemy's threatening, the enemy's bearing down, and it's just cr crushing your soul. And, and maybe for some of you, it's spiritual in nature. And it, there used to be a time where you felt so close to the Lord, and you were in the Word, and you were praying, and you just felt like there was intimacy with God, and you experienced the presence of God regularly, and you sensed His presence on your life, and it seems like now you're praying, and you're reading your Bible, but it just doesn't feel like God is close and you're just you're in a you're in a deep dark valley of the soul because you just you just don't feel like you're connecting with God much like you once did and it's just leaving you a little bit helpless it's leaving you with a sense of despair and and, and that's where they find themselves here in this moment which which leads us to our first thought this this morning and that is simply this I want you to see the despair of the moment the despair of the moment Sometimes our despair is brought on as a consequence for something we've done. That's kind of what we see in this passage. Israel had chosen to disobey. They had chosen to commit sin and idolatry. And under the old covenant, there was consequences. And they had brought it on themselves. But I'm sure even in the southern tribes of Judah, there were still some who were looking to God. They were trying to do the right thing. They were living in a proper way, and yet that judgment was going to come for them too. And so maybe you find yourself in a situation where you yourself haven't done anything, but you're experiencing the consequences of a broken and sinful world. Maybe you're experiencing negative consequences from something someone else has done, what a partner has done, what a child has done, what a boss has done, and you're experiencing the brokenness of that relationship. Have you, have you ever been there before? And you, it just leaves you feeling helpless. It leaves you feeling hopeless. It leaves you in a sense of despair. And maybe you can resonate with, with the shepherd David. In Psalms chapter number 13, here's what David says. Psalms 13. He cries out, he says, How long would thou forget me, O Lord? Wow. Can you imagine saying that to God? It's where David's at. It's like looking up at the heavens, and you say, God, like, like how long is it that you're going to forget me? The enemy's threatening me. Saul was trying to kill him. And David was just vexation of spirit. He was just in despair. He was discouraged. Felt hopeless. And then he, he cries out. He says, God, how long are you going to forget me? He goes on. And, and he asks this. He almost gets a little sarcastic with God in this passage. He asks a rhetorical question. He says, is this like going to last forever? See it in the text. You going to do this forever, God? Like this, is, this has been going on. It wasn't just an hour. It wasn't just a day. This had been going on weeks and, and months. And he was running for his life. And he felt like when he prayed, God wasn't answering. And he was trying to do the right thing, but it didn't seem like God was intervening. And so he just starts getting this sense of despair. He starts getting this sense of hopelessness and helplessness. And he cries out, God, have you forgotten me? How long are you going to forget me? Forever? I'm asking, have you ever been there before? Have you ever, have you ever gotten to a place where you felt like 
God just forgot you. Like he wanted nothing to do with you. That's how David felt. He goes on. He says, how long are you going to hide your face from me, O Lord? Like, God, you're not even looking at me. God, do you even notice what I'm going through? And, and I think if we were to be honest, many of us have been there. And we're like, God, where are you? God, you've hid your face from me. You, do you, are you even noticing what I'm going through in my marriage? Do you even notice what I'm going through with my kids? Do you understand what I'm going through in my soul? God, do you, do you even notice it? So what David's crying out to God. He goes on in verse 2 and he says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? He says, Every day my heart just aches. Like it's not getting better, God. It just feels like it's getting worse and worse and worse. He says, How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? God, I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to be doing. But God, it doesn't seem like anything's working. So David just cries out to God. Have you ever been there before? You're just like, you just, you're in despair. That's where David found himself in that moment. But here's what I want to remind us of. Our feelings and our emotions and things that well up in our spirit, our feelings never change his faithfulness. And that is a promise you can take to the bank. That regardless of what you're feeling and regardless of what David was feeling in Psalm 13, our feelings never change God's faithfulness. He is always faithful. When it doesn't feel like he's answering your prayers, God is faithful. When you don't sense his presence close to you, God is still faithful. When you don't see him working around you, he is still faithful. Our feelings don't limit his faithfulness. I want you to remind yourself of that on a regular basis. Your feelings are not that powerful. Your feelings can't handicap the faithfulness of God. Hold on to that. About a year ago, I was here in church, kind of out in the lobby, and I noticed a couple had come to church that particular day, and, and I saw them from a distance, and do what I often do. I, I went over to where they were and I said, hey, I'm, I'm so glad you came to church today. It's really, really good to have you. And, and I just started kind of making small talk a little bit with them. And, and, as, and as, soon as, I, as soon as I met them, as soon as I started talking to them, I could just sense, man, they were burdened. I didn't know all the details, but I could tell just by the look on their countenance and the look on their face, they were going through some intense, intense problems, struggles. When I first saw them, I, I, I didn't know, I couldn't tell exactly, you know, what their situation was, but it, I, could, I could tell really quick they, they had been going, they, they'd been going through some rough times. We began to talk a little bit, and, 
And the guy looked at me, and it was almost like tears were just welling up in his eyes, and he began to just pour out his heart with everything he was going through. He just began to say, I, I'm struggling with addiction. My wife is struggling. We're struggling with addictions, and we just can't stop. He even admitted he was a little high right there in church. He said, we're about to be kicked out of our apartment. We're going to be homeless. He said, the worst of it is we've got, we've got no money. And he says, social services just, just took our kids away from us. And they were standing in our church, and I just, my heart just sank. In that moment, I know I'm a pastor and I know I'm supposed to have all the answers and know exactly what to say. And in that moment, I, I literally didn't even know what I didn't even know what to say. He began to just say, "Just we just need some help." There was a buddy of mine who was in church that day. Some of you might know him, Kalen. And I, I called out to Kalen. I said, "Hey, Kalen, come here real quick." I said. Will you tell this guy your story? Some of you know Kaylin. He gave his testimony a couple weeks ago at the Thanksgiving service about some of the addiction he's been through and just how God's been working in his life. And he knows he's not perfect, but he's trying to grow in those areas. And, and, and Kaylin just started to share his story with this man about what God has brought him through. And now Kaylin's at like 500 days sober and God's working and he's getting victory. And he began to communicate how with God, you know, he could get victory as well. I told this young man, I said, I said, it's obvious you're going through some rough times. I said, I, I don't know how to, how to take all care of these details. I don't know how this is all going to work out. And I, don't, I don't know how to finish this thing, but I, I said this, I, I do know where it starts. And it starts with Jesus. And I begin to open up the scriptures and show them from the word of God how he, could, how he could have a relationship with God through God's son, Jesus Christ how he could know for sure that heaven would be his home by placing his faith in Jesus to be his personal Lord and Savior. And that day, that couple bowed their head. They began to pray with their own lips. And they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that day. They got saved, committed their lives to Christ. Afterwards, I said, well, well, we'll try to do anything we can to get you into a recovery program. There's got to be some things. And we got them right. It's a recovery program. And got them locked in. And, and to be honest, as, as the weeks, weeks went by, I didn't see them for a while. And I just, we didn't have a connection. I, I wasn't able to stay in touch. And, and did, didn't see them for a long time. But, but what, I, what I did remember was simply this, that in moments of despair, the hope is always Jesus. Regardless of what you're going through, the answer is always Jesus. So we come to chapter number nine in this passage here. And here in chapter number nine, we're going to read one of Isaiah's prophecies regarding this Savior, this one who is going to come to to be the conqueror, to be the king. And so Isaiah here gives this prophecy in chapter number 9, verses 6 and 7. Now, as I said at the beginning of the service, throughout the Old Testament, there are 300 unique prophecies regarding this anointed one. There are prophecies in the Old Testament scriptures that speak of the birth of this anointed one, this Messiah. The prophets started foretell. They said, this is where the anointed one would be born. They named the city Bethlehem. 
This is when he would be born, the prophecies gave. And the prophecies tell about the life of this anointed one, how he would live. The prophecies also foretold of how this anointed one would die. Very specific details about how this Messiah would be born, how he would live, and how he would die. Over 300 unique prophecies are given throughout the Old Testament about the details of this Messiah's life. It's really interesting. It was Peter Stoner, and Peter, uh, Mr. Stoner was the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena, at Pasadena City College in the, until 1953, and then uh, after 1953 became the chairman of the Science Division at Westmont College from 1953 to 1957. And, and Mr. Stoner rules out that these prophecies in the Old Testament could merely be coincidental, and he uses the sciences of mathematics to prove his point. But by using the science of probability and applying it to just eight of the prophecies, not all 300, but just get this in mind, eight prophecies, using the science of probability, the chances of someone who might have lived and accidentally fulfilled just eight of these Old Testament prophecies. If you were to take the mathematics of probability and ask yourself what are the likelihood that just eight of these prophecies would be fulfilled in one man, he said that these prophecies, the chances would be one in 10 to the 17th power. Say, so what number is that? Now imagine a one with 17 zeros past it, okay? This is the mathematical chances that just eight of the prophecies would come true. Now, that is such a huge number, we can't even get our heads around it. So let me try to help you for a moment. Uh, Peter Stoner stated that if you took this many silver dollar bills, you know what a silver dollar bill is? If you were to take this many silver dollar bills, you could literally cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollar bills two feet deep. That's how many that number is. He goes on to say, he says the odds from a mathematical standpoint of just eight of the prophecies accidentally coming true. Some people will say, well, yeah, there's prophecies in the Old Testament, and yes, I know that Jesus fulfilled some of those prophecies, but it's just a coincidence. It's just an accident. If it were just an accident, he says this is the odds. He says the odds of just eight of the prophecies accidentally coming true would be like covering Texas with silver dollars two feet deep, then going out finding just one of those silver dollars and placing a red X on it and then hiding it somewhere in Texas. He says the odds of eight prophecies coming true would be like sending a blind man out into Texas and giving him one chance to find that coin. Just one. That is the chances that just eight of the prophecies, the odds. Now, you're a gambling person, it's not a bet you make. <laughs> that is the odds that just eight of these prophecies would come true, let alone 300 of these Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled 
in one person. So, here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, we get one of these prophecies. Isaiah prophesies about this anointed one, this coming one. Notice what it says here in verse 6. He says, nevertheless, I know the enemy's coming down. But he says, but for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. This will be one who the government will be set upon. He will overreign. He will rule over the governments. It goes on to say, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This son will be born and this is what his name will be. Notice verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. When this king comes, this one that he prophesies of, this son is born, his, he will set up a kingdom that will never end. He says upon the throne of David will this, this uh, kingdom be set up. It, it is interesting, I don't have time to get into it, but Jesus, both from his uh, mother's side and, and even from his stepfather's side, are both from the lineage of King David. And so this prophecy says this one will come from that lineage. That's one of the prophecies. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. Notice this from henceforth, even forever. He says the zeal of the Lord, the zeal of the Lord will perform this. God's going to do this. So Isaiah gives this prophecy. Hey, I know a serious coming. But God is sending a Savior. Which leads us to our second thought we're going to focus on this morning, and that is this. Not only do we see the despair of the moment, but I want you to see in verses number 6 and 7, we see the hope of the Messiah. The hope of the Messiah. My friends, hope is possible. Hope is possible, not because life goes to plan. Life was not going the way the Israelites wanted it to go. But we can have hope, not because life goes to plan or because people like us or even because we're successful at what we do. We can have hope because God exists and he is our heavenly father. That is why you and I can have hope. My friends, we can have a hope even when life is not going the way we thought it would go. And even when there are people who do not like us and who slander us and who betray us and even when we're not successful at our jobs or our careers or in our endeavors in life, our hope is not anchored that those things will go the way we want. Our hope is anchored to the person of Jesus. And as long as we have Jesus, we have reason to hope. The hope of the Messiah. Later on, David, who we talked about earlier when he cried out to God about the despair, in Psalm chapter number 43 and verse 5, we see David speaking again, and he says this. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Literally, he's saying, why are you in despair? Notice this time he's not talking to God. He, he's talking to his soul. He's talking to himself. You ever do this before? You ever talk to yourself? David's talking to himself. He said, why, my soul, are you despairing? Why are you downcast? Why are you depressed? He says, why are you so disturbed within me? 
And then he says this. This is funny because he says this to himself. He, you can see he's literally preaching to himself. He says, soul, put your hope in God. You know what, my friend? Sometimes we just got to preach to ourselves. Okay? When I'm not around to preach and Pastor Nick's not around to preach and Hunter's not around to preach and our Connection Group Bible study leaders are not around to preach to us and our friends are not around to preach to us, sometimes we just got to do what David does and just preach the truth of God's word to ourselves. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, why, soul, are you in such despair? Why are you downcast? Why are you depressed? Why are you hopeless? Why are you helpless? Why are you so disturbed within me? He says, put your hope in God. David knew that his ultimate hope was not going to be found in circumstances changing or in a situation being different or getting a different marriage or getting a better job. He knew ultimately that his hope was anchored to a person and that person's name was God. His hope was God. And so here in this passage, Isaiah in this prophecy gives some names to God. Notice he says, he says, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And each of these names, each of them, give us insights into areas where we can experience hope. This is, this is phenomenal. I want you to catch this. Each of these names Reveal to us an area where we can anticipate and expect God to just lavish us with hope and with grace. Notice it says here he's a counselor. He's a counselor. Let that sink in for a moment. The God of the universe, the one that created all that there is, the one who knows the beginning from the end, the one that knows how your future is going to turn out, that one is your counselor, your guide your leader. He's a counselor. And so in the midst of our despair, he provides us hope for the decisions of life. Jot that down. As our counselor, even in the midst of despair, he provides us hope for the decisions of life. How many of you have times and your life's at a fork in the road and you don't know which way to choose? You ever been there before? You're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to go here. I don't know if I'm supposed to go there. And there's just all this uncertainty with what to do next and you're uncertain about work and you're uncertain about your health and you don't know what to do and you don't know what not to do and there's uncertainty and there's perplexity and there's questions and there's confusions. How many of you have ever been there before? At some point in your life, you're like, I don't know what to do. I want to declare to you that in those moments, you have a counselor and that counselor is greater than your pastor and it's greater than some psychologist down the road and it's greater than your best friend or your parents you have a counselor the God in heaven who knows all things and he's there to guide he's there to lead he's there to instruct and you can hope in him there is hope for the decisions of life but not only is he our counselor I want you to see secondly he is our mighty God he is our mighty God you see even in the midst of our despair he provides us with hope, not just for the decisions of life, but also for the demands of life. He's strong. And when demands and obligations and responsibilities come into your life and you've got family responsibilities and they just feel so heavy and you're trying to take care of the obligations with your children and, and then your boss putting on all these burdens and you've got so much you're carrying, I want to remind you, you have a mighty God who's strong enough to carry those burdens and carry those responsibilities and carry those obligations even when you are weak. He is strong. 
And Isaiah is telling these people of Israel, there's a Messiah coming. There's a Savior coming. He's a counselor who even in the midst of despair provides hope for the decisions of life. You have a mighty God who even in the midst of your despair provides hope for the demands of life. And when life gets hard and when there is obligations and when there is responsibilities and when there are burdens that you have to carry living on this planet, you have a mighty God who's strong enough to carry those things even when you are weak. That is the promise that you have. He's a counselor. He's a mighty God. Notice this. He's the everlasting father. Notice that word everlasting. You have a heavenly father who is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning. And he is the end. There is no beginning to him. There is no end to him. And we have a God who is an everlasting father. And even in the midst of our despair, he provides us hope. Notice this, for the dimensions of life. The past dimensions, the future dimensions, he offers hope. There are people in here, and, and you, we still, and I still, and you still, we still struggle with the past. There's guilt, and we feel shame and condemnation, but I want to remind you today that you have a father who reigns over those past guilts and those past shames. And there is mercy available to you for that. He is an everlasting father. He's father over your past, but he's also father over your future. And even though you worry and you're afraid and there's anxiety that wrecks you, I want to remind you that you have an everly, everlasting father that reigns over your future. And Isaiah the prophet is standing up and he's saying, there is hope in this anointed one. You will find hope in this Messiah. There is hope in this Savior because he is going to be a wonderful counselor when you need uh, counsel and wisdom and guidance. He is this mighty God and this everlasting father even in the midst of the dimensions of life. But I want you to see lastly, he's the Prince of Peace. And even in the midst of our despair, he provides us hope for the disturbances of life. You ever have things come into your life, frustrations, disturbances that rob you of your peace? I know I struggle with this. There are things that come in and your boss does something and your coworkers do something, your spouse does something, your kids does something, and you just get frustrated. Your, your brother does something, your Sister does something. You're just disturbed and you're frustrated and you're angry. You ever been there before? In this passage, Isaiah says there's coming a king. There's coming a savior who is the prince of peace. He reigns over our peace. And even in the midst of despair and even in the disturbances and difficulties of life, there is hope. Oh, man, I love these names. He's a counselor that provides hope for the decisions of life. He is a mighty God that provides hope for the demands of life. He's an everlasting father who provides hope for the past and future dimensions of life. He is, we see in this passage, a prince of peace who provides hope even for the disturbances of life. Because I, I want to remind you of something. Our heavenly father offers abundant life life of hope and peace and joy. But I want to say to you today that the abundant life that God makes available is not fragile. 
It is not so fragile that it needs your life to turn out perfectly in order for you to be at peace. You are offered an abundant life that is stronger and is greater than the circumstances of your life and the situations of your life. It's not fragile, it's not weak. You can experience abundant life and peace and hope and joy even when disturbances come and even when difficulties come. And even when hard times come, you still have that grace available to you. Are you experiencing it? This type of grace is not experienced in circumstances. You have to transcend that. This, in the spirit, you have to experience the anointed one. So the prophet Isaiah stands up and he says, there's coming a savior. There's coming an anointed one. There's coming a Messiah. And he's going to be the prince of peace that's going to make peace available to you regardless of what you're experiencing in this temporal, physical realm of form. And he's going to give you the ability to transcend that and experience peace and love and joy regardless of what's happening down here. That is the abundant life that this Messiah makes available to you. I was telling you earlier in the service about that about that couple who came and several months had gone by and I was sitting here in church and, 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 and there as I was walking around I, I saw this sharp young man who had come into the building and I and, uh, hadn't seen him before and so I thought I gotta go introduce myself to him so I ran over to where he was and I said hey I'm glad you were able to visit today and how'd you hear about the church and you know anything I can do for you and, and the guy looked at me and he said he said pastor it's me I said, what do you mean he said, remember, remember a couple months ago, he says, I came to the church and, and we, we prayed. It's, it's me. He says, it's me, Daniel. I said, man, I, I, didn't, I, man, I didn't recognize you, man. He, he looked all, he was just cleaned up and looking sharp. And, and I was just like, man, I'm sorry. I, did, I didn't recognize you and things. And I said, how's it going? He said, I got into the rehab program. And he says, I just got to the point now where I can get out enough just to go to church on Sundays. And so first day I got out, I was, like, was going to be here in church. I was like, that's awesome. I was like, that's incredible. I said, I said, if I remember your wife with you, she, yeah, she's, she's in rehab as well. They're not going to let her out for a little bit longer to go to church, but she, she's doing well, and they're, they're in there. And man, I was like so encouraged, and I was super excited. And, and then the next week, I saw him again, and the week after that, I saw him again. And what was crazy is uh, uh, Daniel, when he would come, he wouldn't, because he only got out like, you know, once a week from rehab, he didn't come for just one service, he came for both services. You know, he'd sit through there, listen to preaching once, and then he'd come back, and he'd sit through the preaching again. I mean, I was just, he was just soaking it in. It was awesome. I, I know Hunter really started to lean into him and they started going through a Bible study, discipleship one-on-one -on -one together and every week they'd meet and they'd go through a Bible study together and I know they got God involved as much as they could as they started going and getting involved in a connection group Bible study, just, just trying to take in God's word and just trying to grow as much as they could and they had their ups and they had their downs and I, I remember on, on one occasion I, I saw after a, a couple months that Daniel was coming to church, I, I saw him in the parking lot and I could just tell it was kind of a little bit discouraged. I went over. I said, hey, hey, hey Daniel, how you doing, man? Are you everything, everything okay? And he was kind of broken up a little bit. He says, I'm just going to be honest with you. It was Father's Day of this year. He said, uh, he said, one of my close relatives called me. He said, I was the worst dad there ever was. Remember, his kids were in social services. The relative called me on the phone and said, it's my, it's, it's my fault. My kids are where they're at. He said, I got so, so hurt. He said, so this morning, I remember this is Father's Day. He said, I went over to my drug dealer's house. He said, I stood out in front of his house. And he said, I just, 
He said, everything in me just wanted to, wasn't going to be worth it. But he said, something in me. He said, just go to church. <laughs> I looked at him, I said, that was the Holy Spirit. I said, you're saved. You have a new nature. He turned around, came to church. On Father's Day, he worshiped with us. Went back to rehab, just kept, he graduated. A couple, couple months later, his wife, Bree, graduated. They finished it up. Man, we were so excited for him. It was awesome. Others in this church kind of gathered around him, started to encourage him, pray for him, be there for him. It was awesome. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity of going downtown to social services. Me and them and a few others, Hunter and some of us, we, we sat around a table. They're going to decide whether or not they were ready to get their kids back. It's almost a year having the kids away. Man, we were so excited when we got the news that they were finally going to be able to get their kids back. This week, Daniel started his job, got working, found out this morning. His wife also got a job working. I was so pumped. This moment, their little girls are right here in our children's ministry. They're playing, kids' workers working with them. You say, is everything perfect, everything right? No, but God's grace, God's grace is working. And he's continuing to work. You know, I don't know. Daniel, would you stand up for, for a second? I want, you to, I want you to meet these folks. So let's just congratulate them on God's grace and God's doing in their lives. We love you. We're excited about it. You guys can be seated. They still, got, they still got things. They're trying to figure out with, you know, children's work as they're going to work, and they got to figure out with the kids, and, and they're got to look, looking for a place, and they got a lot of things they're figuring out, but they're so thankful to a church family that's rallying around. That's what the church is about. I, I, guys, i got to remind you, this thing is not about all the peripheral, methodological things that most churches argue and fight and cause division about. Church is about people. And pouring into, and we're not all going to pour into the same people, but we all can pour into some person. There was a moment for Daniel and Bree when they walked in the, in, into our church for the very first time, and, and I didn't know this at the first service, but I, I just found out uh, somebody came over to me and they, we were looking through the records, and one of the staff people came over and said, do you, do you realize that when that happened, it was exactly a year ago, they showed me some, it was today, one year. And I know when they came in in that moment, there was a sense that their life was over. They just, they just, you could just see it in their faces. This is over. They lost the kids, everything they were dealing with, with addiction, everything with finances and losing a place to live. They just, it felt like the end. But what they did not, what they did not understand the moment that with, that with Jesus, what felt like the end was just the beginning of something greater. And I know they would agree with that. That was, that was the beginning of what God wanted to do and what God is continuing to do. So here's the takeaway. We're done. You say, what do I do in those moments of despair when I feel like all is lost? Hope in him. People will let you down. Family will let you down. Loved ones will let you down. Pastors will let you down. Church members will let you down. Jesus will never let you down.
trust in him, hope in him. He is, he is the source of all abundant life. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.